Lois and I were at the intake desk at the hospital last Monday when she was there to get her medical tests. The desk just inside the hospital entrance where you sign all the forms before you are allowed in any further to have your test or your outpatient procedure. The interaction is mostly about insurance and payment, but you also go through all the HIPAA forms that address patient privacy issues. Who is allowed access to your medical and or billing information? The clerk asked Lois at one point. She nodded at me, my husband. And your name, the woman asked me? Robert, I answered, because that's my given first name. And I've learned that in any official setting, they usually want the name on my driver's license and my insurance card and so forth, rather than my middle name, Kurt, the name that I've gone by for my whole life because that's what my parents called me from the very first moment I came into the world. For official reasons, I give my official name. The clerk paused a moment because apparently on her computer, in Lois's medical charts for permission for disclosure, there was already a spouse's name filled in, and it wasn't Robert. I could see the confusion pass over her face. Hmm, this woman has two husbands? Are you Kurt, she asked. Oh, yes, I replied. Actually, I am. Sorry, that's the name I usually go by. It's confusing, I know, having one name that's informal and another that's official. If my mother was still here, I'd be giving her the eye right about now. Because it's been an issue over and over again for my whole life. I understand that she wanted to name me for her father, Robert. And at the same time, she wanted to give me a name of my own, Kurt. But it's been kind of a mess ever since. And quite frankly, I haven't appreciated that, Mom. Simpler and more straightforward would have been better. A name that works in all settings, please. We all know that names are important, names that work in all settings, because our names are a means of address, but also of access. That is, names are important not just for proving our identity, but because they are part of the dynamic of relationship. If I know your name, I'm a little bit closer to you than if I don't know your name. If I speak your name with affection, it's different than if I speak it for convenience or just identification. Names are important, and the way they are handled is revealing. In the scripture text for today, there are lots of names being thrown around for this new-on-the-scene Jesus. John the Baptist identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God and then the Son of God. John's followers call him Rabbi and Messiah. Maybe those aren't names, strictly speaking. They're more like titles or some other kind of identifiers, but they are lobbed in Jesus' direction and seem to stick. And along with these titles or names, there arises this overall question. Who exactly is this person? 
And in terms of his name or title, what is he up to? Let's look more closely for a moment at the collection of names, titles in this set of scripture verses for today. Lamb of God, Son of God, Rabbi, Messiah. Three of them sit in a very similar space. One, not so much. The three that sit well together are Lamb of God, Son of God, and Messiah. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John describes Jesus' baptismal moment then, finishing with these words, And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Another day passes and John sees Jesus again. And as John stands alongside two of his own disciples, again he says, Look, here is the Lamb of God. And the two disciples start following Jesus. Later, one of the two, Andrew, goes and gets his brother, Simon Peter, and he says to Simon, we have found the Messiah. The scripture notes that Messiah is another way of saying anointed one. So there's strong emphasis here right at the beginning of John's gospel on the salvation-specific qualities of Jesus. He's called the Lamb of God. That is, the one who sacrificially takes away the sin of the world. He's called the Son of God, the one who has come from God, is identified with God, is joined with God. And he is called the Anointed One, the Messiah, a king sent from heaven, if you will. But right there in the middle of all of that is another name, another title. It's not salvation-oriented. It is not divine. It's not heavenly. It's actually quite direct, practical, person-to-person. Andrew and the other disciple call Jesus rabbi. So these two disciples of John start following Jesus after John has pointed him out. Here is the Lamb of God. And Jesus turns to them and says, What are you looking for? And they say, well, Mr. Lamb of God. No, they don't say that. What they actually say is, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he says, come and see. And they go with him and stay with him for the rest of the day. They stay with him for the rest of the day. That is, until about 4 o'clock. The scripture is that specific. Kind of odd, don't you think? unless the gospel writer wants to make clear that the would-be disciples and Jesus had a very long conversation that day, suggesting that school was in session that day. For all five periods, or all seven periods, or however many periods there are in the school day, rabbi is what they call him. A term of respect, likely, But again, the gospel writer gives us a hint that it is more than respect being offered with the title rabbi when he makes this scriptural note, rabbi, which translated means teacher. So again, what seems like a little throwaway piece, a little add-on side note, may actually be a clue to what is important. Jesus isn't just a person with a title, rabbi. He is a person with a task, teacher. And this is very important, I think, because it is what Jesus does the most throughout the Gospels. He teaches. In fact, nearly every moment with Jesus is a teaching moment. 
in his world and the world of those who come to him for help or turn to him for healing or follow him from place to place or who leave their former lives in order to become his disciples, there is always something to learn. His disciples are not just blind followers, persons subsumed into the cult of Jesus. They are students. They are always students. They are always students because he is always their teacher. From beginning to end, from baptism to crucifixion to resurrection, he is always their teacher. Jesus comes into the world to save us, to save humankind, that's for sure, to expose the sin of the world, to challenge it, to call the ways of the world into question, to have us examine ourselves, to confess our sins, and humbly surrender ourselves to gifts of grace and forgiveness. But it's not formulaic, and it isn't hocus-pocus stuff. It's not God waving a magic wand while we passively wait for our free pass to heaven. Rather, salvation is a dynamic process of engagement and transformation. It happens as we learn something about what is right and wrong. It happens as we learn something about the true will of God. It happens as we learn to let go of our pride and fear and selfishness, learn to forgive those who have offended us or injured us, learn to trust grace, learn to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. Learn to be peacemakers. Learn humility and generosity. Learn to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love neighbor as ourselves. Learn to take the log out of our own eye before judging the speck in someone else's eye. Learn to pray. Learn to play well with others. Learn to give and receive mercy. Salvation is a movement. It's not a status. It's a movement in a direction. You're either headed toward heaven or headed toward hell all along the way. And therefore, as you journey through this life, either heaven or hell is showing itself more and more in your life day by day, depending on whether or not you are learning the ways of Jesus, the will of God, learning, absorbing, integrating being transformed. Jesus, rabbi, teacher, is our guide. We are students in the classrooms, classroom of the Gospels, the classroom of the creation. We are students in the classroom of the community. These are the places where salvation is discovered, explored, taught, and learned. For that reason, it seems to me that teachers may be among the most important persons in our lives. Maybe among the most important persons for the salvation of us all. Who will help us to think carefully and judge slowly? Someone who is a good teacher, a holy guide, right? Who will show us how to be creative rather than destructive? Who will spend the whole day with us, taking question after question, thought after thought, story after story, take and hold all those things and then give them back when we are ready? A good teacher, right? 
Who will remind us over and over that we do not know as much as we think we know, but that not knowing isn't the problem. It's not wanting to know that is most often the problem. Who will be patient when we just can't quite get it? And so we need the explanation again. Or maybe we need it explained differently. And fortunately for us, there is someone who cares enough about us to give it another go. Who will prepare for the class we will attend, whether the classroom is fixed or fluid, formal or informal, but prepares for the class we will attend, we need to attend, by doing all the careful work of creating a space and bounding it with curiosity and beauty. The way of salvation is not just declared, it is taught. Jesus is not just the great sacrifice. Jesus is the great example, the great parable teller, the great status quo questioner, the great rabbi, the great teacher. And his teaching opens the door to eternity. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi. Which, means, which translated means teacher. Where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. As I think about those in my life who I have called my teachers and whose teaching has changed me, deepened me, transformed me, this thought comes to me as well. There is perhaps no greater honor in this world than when someone says, you were my best teacher or you were my favorite teacher. Because what they are saying is that you saved me from my own ignorance. You saved me from my own disinterest. You saved me from becoming a person without purpose. You saved me from narrowness. You saved me from being stuck in one place because of you and the space you willingly created and the challenge you intentionally offered and the curiosity you consistently honored. My life moved forward and my life went deeper. I was changed for the better. Jesus will be known as the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Messiah. Those are all names worthy of consideration, all titles worthy of reflection. But for today, I invite you to think about Jesus as rabbi, teacher. Because even now, right now, He's got teaching to do, and we've got learning to do. And the pathway that takes us ever closer to God is the pathway of reflection and understanding and embrace of the Word. The Word that was made flesh and dwelt among us. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. Let us pray. Jesus, Rabbi, Teacher, show us your way. Jesus, Rabbi, Teacher, clarify our minds, soften our hearts, deepen our understanding. Jesus, Rabbi, Teacher, save us from ignorance, save us from hate. Jesus, Rabbi, Teacher, show us your way. You teach us is what we ask, and we will commit ourselves to learn. We will offer ourselves to be transformed. Amen.